We're going to spend a bit of time now looking at that fourth reading from Matthew's Gospel. So it's on page eight of the uh, service booklets. And if you'd like to blow out your candles, if your hands are getting a little, you feel free to, to blow them out uh, now. Uh, this passage that we're looking at, it is a very famous passage which takes us right back to the first Christmas. It is told through the eyes of Joseph, not Mary, and tells us who this baby is growing inside Mary's womb. Always really important to know who someone really is to get someone's identity right. I used to work in a bank in the city as a foreign exchange trader. And a year into the job, a new guy joined the desk, and I just assumed he was the new graduate, uh, not least because he looked younger than me, and that was quite impressive feat at the time. He was also a little bit worried about the banking exams coming up, and I knew what that liked the year before, so I thought, you know, I'll take him under my wing. And I reassured him, and I showed him how the phones worked on the desk and all the sort of basic things that I wish someone had shown me when I was a new graduate. Then later on that day, the head of FX London stood up and said to the whole trading room floor, um, I'd like to introduce you all to our global head of FX. Recently moved over from Australia to London, so still needs to do his banking exams because they're different here to Australia, ha ha ha. Could I welcome you all to Rob Mandino? And who stands up but this new guy who I thought was the new graduate who I just been speaking to him as if he'd never been on the trading room floor before, and it was so embarrassing. You'll be pleased to know I, I didn't lose my job, but I wish I had known who this guy really was. And as we come to this very famous passage from Matthew's Gospel, it is given to us today to save us from any embarrassment so that we can know who this baby really is. And it's all to do with those two names given to the baby in this passage, and I wonder if you noticed them. The first name is Emmanuel. So you can see that if we glance down to verse 23. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so here is Mary, and she's probably around only 16 years of age, and she has got pregnant and we are told earlier on in the passage that Mary and Joseph have not yet slept together. So what do you think is on Joseph's mind? He's thinking, who has she cheated with me with? Like, who has she slept with? It's not me, and she's pregnant. And we are told in verse 19 that he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Because that to him is the only thing that makes logical sense here. And yet he has this dream and this angel of the Lord speaks to him. An angel of the Lord, by the way, is just a messenger of God. And says, don't worry. Take Mary as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. In other words, the claim of the first Christmas is this baby swimming around in Mary's amniotic fluid is no ordinary human baby. Fully human? Absolutely but also fully divine. And God himself is about to be born into this world. So give him the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, if this is your first time uh, hearing this, 
I'm conscious that it might sound absolutely ridiculous. And I'm certainly not expecting any of you here to believe it straight away just hearing this. But this is what billions of Christians around the world will be celebrating this Christmas time. God with us. And the possibility of a personal, living, vibrant relationship with God himself, the very meaning and purpose of our lives. So if you've never had the opportunity to look into the claims of Christmas you know, for yourself, um, please feel free to take one of these Matthew's Gospels. They're there at the back. They're free. They're our gift to you. Because as you read on in Matthew's Gospel, it is incredible what this baby grows up to do. Things like walking on water, calming a storm with a word, healing incurable illnesses, forgiving people's sin, something only God can do, raising people back from the dead. Emmanuel, he speaks, he lives, he acts like God himself. And it's not just what he did back then and what's written in Matthew's Gospel, but you think about the last 2,000 years, and Emmanuel has shaped the course of history and certainly Western culture more than any other individual before him or since him. I'm not sure if you're noticed the past few years in this country, um, people like Tom Holland, uh, Louise Perry, uh, Mary Harrington, Douglas Murray, to name just a few, have been part of a, a cultural movement back towards Christian thinking and the ethics of Jesus Christ. And they are arguing that as society has, has moved away from Christianity in the West, just how much we have lost. Could it really be that this baby is Emmanuel, is God with? I mean, just imagine for a moment if that were true, how life-affirming, how life-changing that would be. I don't know if you ever wonder yourself, like, is there really meaning to life? When we boil it all down, you know, all the things we live for and work for, things we are passionate about, relationships, friends, family, success, is ultimately deep down any meaning if at the end of the day we all die and we lose everything, and we are all forgotten about. Many of you know the names of your great-grandparents, and if not, do you think it'll be any different for you? And yet here, in the message of Christmas, we are reassured that we are not alone in this universe, that we have not come from nothing, that we are not going to nothing, that God is real, and he's personal, and he wants relationship with us. He, this baby is Emmanuel, God with us. The very meaning and purpose of our lives. Do you ever look around at the world, all the pain and suffering? I mean, it's been a very dark year at times this past year, hasn't it, with all the war and conflicts and protests around the world and in this city and the hatred being thrown across social media. Perhaps you come here this evening, you are carrying some really personal hurt and wounds and perhaps you think to yourself, look, if God is there, does he really care? And how can God up there know what's really going on in the world down here and what is going on? And the message of Christmas says, yes, he does know. And he does understand. Because in this baby, Emmanuel, he was born one of us. Born a human being. He lived on this world 2,000 years ago in the fullness of our humanity, so he knows your suffering, he knows your pain, he knows your tears, because he himself has experienced it firsthand. 
the death of his close friend, Lazarus, the betrayal of Judas, one of his disciples, by a kiss, the denial of Peter three times at the moment he needed him the most, the excruciating pain physically and spiritually on the cross. God with us through it all. There is nothing we are experiencing that he himself has not gone through as well. And then three days later, risen to resurrection life, never to suffer again. There is no greater joy in life. There is no greater experience to be had than to have God with you through life, through death, forevermore. And that's just the first name, Emmanuel, God with us. But there's a second name we need to notice as well. And this is one that we are all probably familiar with, the name Jesus. In verse 21, we read, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. I don't know if you've ever seen the fresco painting by Michelangelo called The Creation of Adam. It's one of the most replicated religious paintings of all time. It's painted on the Sistine Chapel. It depicts God on the one hand, Adam on the other. And if you've seen it, you will know that God is there active and dynamic, and he's straining towards Adam, and his muscles are taut, and his arm is straight, his finger reaching out to touch, to connect with Adam. And then Adam on the other side, it's all laid back, passive, lazy pose, nonchalant seemingly, unbothered, his arms bent, his hands drooping, his finger down, and there's this gap between the two, this distance, this separation. God wanting this relationship, if only Adam would lift his finger. I don't know what comes into your head or your mind, your heart, when you hear the word sin. We've heard that Jesus will save his people from there. What is sin? Do you think it's just Christians stopping you having a good time? Do you think of rules and regulations? Don't do this, don't do that. Do you think judgmentalism, fundamentalism? At the heart of the Christian understanding of sin is a relational one. It is the way we break fellowship with God through our apathy, through our nonchalance, through being non-plug. You, you could be the most morally good person out there, a really up standing member of the community and yet when it comes to our relationship with God a mess broken we're quite happy to live our lives without him or not to give him too much thought or care and we might say to ourselves well what's the big deal with that God's big enough no if God is the source of all goodness or truth or beauty or life then to turn from God to have this gap this separation no matter, no matter how small that is where all the problems of life and this world come from, not least the problem of death and the problem of judgment. And so if we want God with us, if we want God through life, through death, forevermore, the very meaning of we need our sin dealt with. And there's nothing we can do about it. And yet what's this baby's name? His name is Jesus. What does the name Jesus literally mean? Savior. Why call him Jesus? Because he will save his people from their sins. 
and he can restore our relationship with God. It's because Jesus is the Savior that we can have God with us today. And my goodness, the lengths that Jesus Christ goes to to achieve this for us. Ultimately, he dies for us. He sacrifices himself for us. We said before just now, sin leads to death and judgment. Do you know what Jesus does at the end of his life? He is willingly dying in our place. He is taking our judgment for our sin on his behalf. So Jesus is the one forsaken, so we can be forgiven. He is the one who dies, so we are the one who can live forevermore. He is the one who has the separation from God, so we can have God with us and have our relationship restored. We're about to sing. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. And so this is what Christmas is fundamentally all about. This is what Jesus is all about. Not rules and regulations, not do this and don't do that, but first and foremost, having our relationship with God restored. And it's a relationship we don't deserve because by that normal nature we are sinful, we're nonchalant, we're nonplussed. But it is freely offered to us through all that Jesus Christ has done for us. He is overflowing in love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. Now, I didn't grow up in a particularly religious home, so you're probably just as surprised as I am to find myself now as a vicar in the Church of England giving a talk like this. And you might say to me, like, Mark, what changed it all round for you? And it was simply this. Seeing who Jesus Christ really is. Not just a good man, not just a teacher, not just a prophet, not just a miracle worker, but a saviour who deals with our sin so we can have God with us for eternity. And it is my hope and prayer that we all experience God with us this Christmas.